Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Strong Words. I can't believe we're already on episode two. And thank you all so much uh, for uh, checking out Strong Words. I am your host, Ian Strong. And for those of you who listened to the very first episode of Strong Words, I can't thank you enough for continuing to uh, be on this journey with me and continuing to listen to this podcast. And if you haven't checked out uh, the first episode of Strong Words and you want to find out a little bit more about me and what this podcast is all about, I highly encourage you to do so. Just go back and click on that uh, first podcast episode there and you'll be able to hear more about that. But today, today I'm excited because it's not about me today. Today I have one of my really good friends, the bass player in my cover band, uh, Dead Cowboy, and one of the premier prolific letterers for Marvel and DC Comics over the last almost 30 years. I'm talking to my friend Dave Sharp today, and when we sat down to record this conversation, we actually recorded almost two and a half hours of content. So because of that, I'm going to... I'm not necessarily saying I'm milking it a little bit, but I think I just need to uh, just kind of spread this out a little bit, and I'm going to do part one uh, today and part two two weeks from now when episode three goes up. And uh, this, this first part... Is, uh, is full of really interesting information about what it was like for Dave to go almost straight from art school in Long Island, New York, to being hired to be a, uh, an artist and a letterer primarily uh, for Marvel Comics. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into uh, what, uh, le- what caused him to leave Marvel after so many years and uh, join DC and uh, and Valiant and some of the other independent comics that he's done over the years. But part one is all Marvel comics. You're going to hear about what it's like basically working in the comic book world before it was cool to work in the comic book world. I mean, we're talking late 80s, early 90s before comic books were everywhere and, and the adaptations are dominating television and, and uh, film in the box office. So you're going to find out all about what it was like to be, uh, and when I say prolific, I mean it, in the little bit of research that I did for this uh, this sit-down conversation I had with my friend, uh, you, you can go onto Marvel's database and type in Dave Sharp's name and find out that he had actually worked on over 1,600 books, over 1,600 issues of comic books for Marvel, and that's just spanning his Marvel career, not even including his DC and, and other work as well. So uh, I'm not going to waste any more of your guys' time. Let's get right into part one of my two-part interview with my good friend, Dave Sharp. I mean, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I mean, you you and I have been friends for at least a decade. Yeah. At this at point, at least, yeah. And and we never really talked about. I mean, we're going to talk. You, I I want you to be <laughs> a regular guest as much as you'll give me. Okay. On this show, absolutely. And because because we have we have a lot in common. We yeah. we're, we're both in the same band and we like a lot of the same music. Look how it's turned out. <laughs> I I I used to be a pro wrestler. You're still a, a big wrestling fan. And I, wish, you, I wish I had been a pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah, we we could talk about that someday. Absolutely, and. Uh, one one of the other th- uh, things, I mean, we, we you know we want to talk about you know TV shows and movies and pop culture and, yes. uh, but today I just want to talk about you, woo, <laughs> which I'm super <laughs> excited about because there's so like to me, 
I'm not I'm not trying to like kiss your ass because you're on my show. You good? I am genuinely enthused to tell people what you do for a living, <laughs> and and I don't think people really appreciate the gravitas of what it is. I don't even know if you do at this point because what you've done for how long have you been doing what you're doing? Like twenty seven since 1990. 19, so 29 years. 29 you're, you're coming years. up on 30 years. Next year, October, will be like will be 30 years. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a if you yes, and, and as amazing as it sounds, like I haven't I haven't lost sight of it only because uh, the field gets smaller, okay. and I've had friends and peers literally pass away, as well as not get looked over and forgotten by the industry. So it. It hasn't lost its impact on me. I'm still, I can, I have some, some peers that, ha, that it has and they, they, they kind of don't like what they're doing, et cetera. Um, and I get it. I get that part of it too. Um, because there's a absolute, you know, the coolness factor has to make up for the ceiling that okay. I have. Cause I, there's no way I can make over an X amount of money and you know, I, I could, but it would like, I'd be working 90 hours a week. So like this, and as you know, I have so many other th- interests. So, well, well, before we even get into anything, yeah, we should just tell people what it is that you do. <laughs> so, so you, you have been an artist slash letterer, primarily a letterer. The, the, yeah. Make career as a letterer for money as a letterer for Marvel and DC comics, as well as some indie labeled comics yes. for almost 30 years. Yes. That is, is incredible to me. <laughs> so, so for the, I mean, I'm a little bit more initiated because we've known each other we, for so talked, long and yeah, we talk a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, I, it's funny to me whenever I tell people what you do and they didn't know that that was a thing. Now, most of my initiation of what you do comes from chasing Amy. <laughs> At least I'm not a tracer. <laughs> right. Yeah. But... No, no offense to all you tracer, I mean, inkers out there. <laughs> but, so, so basically, let, let's start off with telling people what it is that a letterer does. Okay. So, as you said, many different parts make a comic. So, you have the writer, the penciler, the inker that we reverently call a tracer, <laughs> um, colorist, and the letterer. And the editor, too. The editor is really a big part, too, um, obviously, because the editor is really, like, keeps all those... Nut, nut bags in line because <laughs> make sure everything <laughs> hits hits their deadline. You know, um, so it, you the, the job has changed a little bit over the years, but basically, um, they'll give me the script and the artwork. Um, when I first started, it was all by hand, um, so it was a different process then, but still ultimately the same job where I get the script and the placements, and they say go for it. Um, they provide all the script, including onomatopoeia. So any rack, any like you know, bams, smash, booms, they have to give me that too. Um, so so anything that requires letters, literally, yes. Whether it be a thought bubble, spoken word bubble, or Hulk smashing through the door and you see smash and multicolored yes. crazy text letters. Now I'll correct you, and not not that I care because I I don't. But I've got a couple peers that says that say you must use the word balloon instead of bubble. Okay. Okay. And I don't know why. Industry terms. See, so silly. No, I but, told you I'm a little uninitiated. No, no. For me, it's crazy because like I have one friend, who, like one peer, who's always like, rah, 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 like "Why do I have to call it bubbles?" Like it doesn't matter. It, it's either way. <laughs> I totally knew what you meant. So I'm I'm, I'm splitting hairs now. But yeah, so, and, and that would so that would include logos sometimes. So does that include the cover too? 
Uh, well, obviously, the, you would do the logo once and it'll use multiple times. Okay. Uh, so, like, if you did Silver Surfer, for example, um, one of the ones I did back in the day was Annihilus. He's one of the Silver Surfer characters. And so I did the logo and I did it for, I actually did it for one cover. And then they decided to do like a limited series with him. And then, like, the logo also appeared on the toy too and stuff so i did a couple logos are actually on a few toys that really made me happy as you can imagine sure going to toys where it's like i did that logo <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, and you know it's not quite as exciting as the as the penciling it's not it's, you don't don't get nearly the in, the nods that you like the even the that the ink of the inker would get you know or at this at this point too the colorist is a really big deal as well so we're still like us and the editor are still the lowest person on the totem pole but um, it's still a important it's Oh, it's integral. Like yeah. I'm the last person to touch the book, other than the editor, before it goes to print. So, um, yeah, it's it's really it's still a very important position to be in. So, so, so when when you get your assignment, mm-hmm. so to speak, and they give you the script and everything, do, does it go like panel by panel, or yeah, for the most part, you'll get a you'll get a full script as you can imagine how you might write a story, and you'll and in this case, or you might write a script for Hollywood or something is very similar to that, where you'll be like, the scene would be Spider-Man walks into a bar, you know? And so as the, depending on how the writer works with the penciler, they might give a little more information. Like, you know, we, we need to see the antagonist is in the back corner and we need to see so-and-so like that. So that might be in the, the panel description, but then, so it'd be like a paragraph panel description. And then underneath that would be, script like script for that panel so like you know and it'll be one two three and depending on who you get uh work for you get placements um i like placements because that can go even faster mm-hmm. um but the reason I, I but i don't need them the reason i like them is because you don't want to do a book a certain way some writers and, and pencilers or whatnot are very specific about what they see in their head and they sometimes want the balloons at different spots so you go and letter it, and they come back like, oh, I really wanted this one down here and this one over here. So I prefer the placements ahead of time, if possible. So so who who decides the size and the placement of the balloons on a panel? For the most part, it'll be either me or the editor. So okay. I, I, they'll give me sometimes, as I said, placements, which really are more suggestions. And it's really my job. So the one thing I have, the one th- thing that people discount, I think, the most is that is what the design work that goes into the page. So... I have to lay the balloons so that you read them in order, panel to panel. And even if, so if you have one panel of 17 balloons, you got to make it read a certain way. Often the the artist will put the person speaking on the right, speaking first. And if you can see in your head, it's like, well, then you have to have wrapped these tails all around It needs to be kind of above so that you read it in order. So it's very difficult sometimes, even to the point where occasionally we'll go back and say, you're going to have to flip the panel because I can't even make this work. I just, uh, I just worked on a really cool book. I'm very happy to be working on Legion of Superheroes, and it's like it's my first issue. So, and and I'm not. This is not like not telling any lies or anything. This is what most books go this way. Is that this? It's a team book, and the Legion of Superheroes have like thousands of teenagers. So there's a couple of double page spreads where there's like a hundred characters, and my guys got all the all of them talking at different times, and so I have to make sure the the conversation reads properly. But the balloons still go to the right people, and tails aren't covering people's faces and heads and stuff. So there's a lot of, our unfortunately, like the the we do our best job when you don't see the lettering. 
That makes sense. Right? So, like, basically, yeah, of course you have to read it, but they shouldn't obstruct any artwork. It shouldn't be, like, tangents and, like, like a, a tail will come by and, like, hit the window a certain way where your eye, like, oh, what's... So you have to avoid all that. So it's a lot to it. Yeah, because kind of, like, as a wrestler, I was always told... Uh, you never want to distract from the action that's in the ring, right? Regardless of your participation in the match, and I can kind of see from your perspective, being the letterer, I'm not gonna say you're so low <laughs> on the totem pole that your stuff isn't as important, but you know the 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 it needs to be legible, it needs to have flow, it needs to be able to be read, and right. and it not distract from basically what is going on in right. the panel. And so, for example, I really. I don't struggle with, I've I found a good balance between most of my books where as a letterer and a typesetter even, I can go nuts. I mean, I've got a million fonts to think, but like you really have to use your old typesetter ideas and the thing like, you know, when we all went to art school and it, like, for example, you never put 17 types on a face, on a page. You've seen various, you know, band, um, different flyers and stuff. And like the more typefaces you put on, it starts going, it's, it, it's, it's too just, busy. It's, it's insane. Right. Yeah. And so there can almost be too much going on that right. it distracts you. So some, for example, there's a thought like we've got different fonts and sometimes we have a monster font, like you'll use a different monster font for your monster. And so, but if you do that too much, now the page just, now you've actually fighting the artwork, which is a big no, no. So, but there's, there, there's also a mindset, like one of the books I'm most proud of would be Harley Quinn. And as soon as I say that, most people are at least going to remember Margot Robbie sure, and the way she talks. And so, and she did, a, I think, probably of anyone in the whole movie, probably did the best job, at least of maybe not physically, but at least you know, mentally and, and like, and with her, her dialogue really brought across what Harley might sound like, where mm-hmm. like a lot of squeaks, a lot of pitch changes and so forth. So Yeah, because when I think of the Harley Quinn character, I think of like the Batman animated series. Absolutely. And the voiceover work on that from Mark Hamill as the Joker... And, and and Batman and particularly Hart, like right. that's the sound that I hear in my head. Absolutely, when I and, think and of even her. Margot Robbie kind of did that. Like yeah, she, sure, she, a little did bit. A yeah, good job. You know, the, the argument for most people, the purists would be that we like Harley Quinn as Harley Quinn with the cool Harley Quinn outfit, right? Which and they it, did kind of for a minute. She's packing in at one yeah, point. Yeah, you she see said, oh, I'll leave this one home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there it. was like a flashback sequence in which she might have been wearing right. it with the Joker. It, it is, and yeah. what what happens though is that so ideally, just a little fun note would be is that that outfit is when she's really under the sphere influence of the Joker. Sure, and and that's it, and so and. The one you see, Margot Robbie, that's the empowered Harley. So, right. And, our, and some of my friends hate that one, but I get it because my daughter loves it. So I, I, well, people it, can hate it, but like the, the girls love it. They did exactly what we're supposed to do with it. Well, and, and we're also living in a time now where putting emphasis on strong female characters... Is the thing to do, right? Is the thing to do. <laughs> and, and I'm in no way knocking yeah, that. Yeah, Because Harley Quinn is a, is a very well-developed character right. in, the, in the comic book industry. Yeah. And I mean, more more so than I'd say most other ones. It came about that way, and she's what she's. I've been in the industry longer than Harley Quinn's been around, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like she's only like what twenty years old at most. I forget. Whenever that first Batman animated come out, like that's they developed it for the animated series. So it's interesting how characters can do that. You know. Well, let, let's uh, uh, let's. Well, I want to ask one more question yeah. about lettering, yeah, yeah. and then we'll go back a little bit. So when you get the script, yeah. And you're going into the balloons just for like dialogue purposes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a little bit more creative freedom with like putting emphasis or italicizing words, or is that more so on the writers and editors to tell you to That's, do that? 
again, yeah, that's going to be more on the writers and the editors, depending on you know who's who's in charge of the book. Like if you're if you're new to the industry and you just got your first DC book to write, don't expect it to come back exactly the way you wrote it because sure. the editors are going to be like, nope, change this, change that, and it's under, you know, like and they know. To be fair, for the most part, they do know better. You know, as, as you, the new writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the emphasis stuff is put in almost always by, well, always by those two. Um, depending on the team I'm working with, I will have a little more. So using Harley as, as, as the example, I will blow some of her words out. So say if she say put in, I make that word red and a different font and like five times size the other ones and blow it out, out of the side of the balloon and then come back to the other ones. And I do that all the way down the page. Uh, depending on what kind of mood I'm in and who I'm working <laughs> with. So uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, a husband and wife team, were some of my best friends in the industry, were on, on Harley for a long time, and they let me do whatever I want. Um, now they've reined me in a little bit, but it's it, I'm fine with that because I, I can get a little nutty. I can go too far. And honestly, a book if a book only takes me X amount of time to do, when I'm doing that with other stuff, it takes twice as long. But when I'm done, it feels... It feels like, oh, maybe someone, and, but again, I want to go back to like, you know, I, I have to be careful not to go too far. I don't want you, the reader to be like, Dave has gone too far now. <laughs> this, this is now they're fighting. So kind of, um, well, kind of like what we said earlier, you don't want to distract. From, you really don't. So like there's a, there is a, thin there's, line a there's an ebb learn. and flow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But Harley Quinn is the one I kind of throw those rules out. So anyway. So, so let's go back a little bit. Yeah. And let's talk about before you even started working at Marvel and you're okay. probably just some teenage kid who loves to draw. Yes. Now, were were you like really big into comic books back then? Yeah, I've always been a comic book fan. Like any any in particular? Hulk. I grew up on the Hulk um, and the Micronauts, which oh, okay. were a toy. One of my favorite things. Little story for me: the industry is that when I was a kid, the, the Micronauts like predate Star Wars, but like they came out the same time as Star Wars started releasing all their toys, or like three years before. And so these are these incredible toys from Japan based off like this Microman or Microman in Japan. <laughs> and these incredible toys. Like if, you, if anyone, anyone hears this and knows what I'm talking about, you'll know like, oh my goodness, he said Micronauts. I'm even going to get like a tat. This one of my next tats will be a Micronaut tat. So That's cool. Uh, but I loved it. The interesting thing was when comics, my friend, my good friend Garrett would be like, he knew all the writers and all the stuff. I honestly just read comics. I didn't. But I also started, he noticed I was gravitating toward X comics and realized that Michael Golden, the specific artist, was doing these books. So it was Hulk, he did some Hulk, he did the Micronauts, and then a really famous one in the 80s was uh, the NOM, um, which was, they got all people who had been in the NOM to work on the comic. Um, or at least the creators, or I should say the, the writers and the artists, maybe not the letterers and colorists, but like for the most part... All the creator, the the main creators were from Nam, so it was incredibly real. Some of the best comics ever put out because it was they let them you know go as far as they needed to do and tell the story. Um, and Michael Golden had done that too. And so fast forward like years later, I'm, I'm working in the Marvel bullpen, like been there by ten years or so. And Michael Golden comes on staff and he becomes the art director and he becomes like one of my better friends in the industry. So like. One of the few times, like, meet your heroes, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so, but I, but I used to love comics as a kid, for well, sure. Well, how did that transition from loving comics to loving to draw? I assume that you probably, like, drew your own little comics. I did. I did. And like, made up like your like own. Like all of us did. Yeah, I did. I did that. So, 
what happens is you go to you get you get older and like okay so everyone goes everyone goes going to college and you're mm-hmm. like well I want to draw comics you're mm-hmm. like what am I supposed to do and I'm sure that was popular among uh, exactly, your parents exactly and they were like yeah. well well I had like other kids you know screwed up a bunch and went to community college for two for one full year uh, the first semester I got two A's on the two art classes and didn't go to the other classes. And the second semester did the exact got two A's in the art classes and didn't go to the like it wasn't a matter of failing I just didn't go mm-hmm. and so they were like well we can't keep spending money on this just for you to take some of the art classes and they didn't know what to do um, and I worked I, I made bagels for a year I worked in a music store for a year and I where my love for music really really flourished at that point and then I my dad and mom were like well what are you gonna do we can't you know, sell, you can't sell guitars your whole life, you know, or, you know, and, and so I literally picked up one of the comics I loved and the same ad I'd seen for years was the Joe Kubert school of cartooning and and animation. I want to go here. And and my parents are some of my best supporters and they, they didn't know what to do with me. So like, well, fine, (laughs) let's go to New Jersey and we'll check the school out. And I got there and it was a school of misfits, just like, you know, just like I was. And, um, so I ended up going there. I graduated uh, in 1990. Um, it was a I the problem is when you go to arts when you really go to art school and this includes the other ones FIT and all the other like that's fashion institute. I say that because a lot of kids at that time there weren't comic book courses, so you actually would go to the Fashion Institute of Technology to learn how to draw bodies, and so because the Fashion Institute they're sitting there yeah you're with a lot of women who are taking fashion yeah and it would be fashion and a lot of gays a lot of gay guys there and that's cool too but you're kind of there i have a couple of friends who are kind of like you go into like the, you got the like the one metal head sitting in a class of all like the fashion kids it's very strange but they do life drawing all day long which is so important to comics and so i have a, I have a lot of friends that went to the fashion institute and graduated from there with with their you know technology with their you know um anyway so well, we're we're also talking about the late '80s too, when which you know right. comics had been around for decades, but they but were nothing, nowhere near no as massive as it. Right. Yeah. So the uh, the School of Visual Arts also was starting to get like a a, pro, a, a comics program, but they frowned on it, like <laughs> mm-hmm. our comics program, you know, um, not realizing it. Like you know, like you fast forward today, like you know, oh, you can make millions of dollars on these movies. The fact that it is is ridiculous, you know. Mm-hmm. But we we all knew, we all knew, like these are properties to be mined. They're so they're so great and so much fun and so anyway but the school really saved my life in a sense um at the same time when you go to art school you realize when you're in high school me and my buddy garrett were like we're the best artists in the school we're signing every we're not signing yearbooks we're drawing in everyone's yearbooks and all this kind of junk you know and then you get to art school you're like oh i suck (laughs) (laughs) i didn't realize how much i suck um and you're you're really that whole idea of and it was not even, I, I started with 140 kids and my, um, like my freshest three-year school, my first year, and we graduated like 27 um, because it's that hard. Um, I just, I just, I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I really struggled because I, had, I was, I did really poorly in high school, not because I'm, I just did really poorly because I didn't care. And so it took a lot for me to learn how to care. If that makes any sense. No, I totally get it. You know, and like, and so even, even drawing, like, you know, 
people are like, how do you draw? Like the, the best part now is that the interesting thing that Joe taught us all was I, anyone can draw. It's like playing a guitar. If you sit down and have people help you and you practice it eight hours a day, end of a year, you're playing guitar. There's just no about it. Now, you may not be as good as someone who actually has talent mm-hmm. and has spent the same year and same time. That person might have blown you away, but you have still learned how to play guitar. Well, and, and surrounding yourself with people who push yourself, to push you. And you have to do it. Like, yeah. you're eight hours a day. So, like, our, we drew 10 hours a day. And so, you know. Well, when, and, that, and that's why I like, you know, not that I'm trying to change the subject, but playing yeah. in a band with you guys. Because, you know, I've, I've been playing guitar for over 20 years. But the last maybe six or seven, I've really started to hone in really on, elevates. on yeah. and elevate my my skill level because I'm playing stuff that's outside my comfort zone, yeah. And and it's really helped me to you know become a better lead player, which I don't really still play leads. I mean, I'm no shredder or anything like that, but I can I can <laughs> hold get some up. in there. I can hold. <laughs> it's just gibberish. But but I can but you know there's a lot of parallels there and I can even make some similar parallels with my professional wrestling career uh, in in terms of like you know I was going to school for uh, for record producing and I was spending time in labs and and learning how to you know work the soundboards and how to mic a drum set and all that stuff and I would end up leaving early because I w- didn't want to miss SmackDown when I got home <laughs> <laughs> and and eventually I was like you know spending all this time and money in school but all I really care about is wrestling. And and I was doing backyard wrestling at the time, and we can talk about this in another no, podcast. Yeah, it's fair. No, it's... but but it but the the point is surrounding yourself with talented people makes you want to reach potential that you didn't even know that you had. It it taps into that untapped right. resource. It it isn't isn't funny. It's all about who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And it really and I could, that's that's a, a life lesson in general. Like well, who are you going to surround yourself with? Like like even Larry and Dead Cowboy. Like yeah. Larry and I are two totally different yeah. schools of of guitar playing. But that dude teaches me so much. I don't even realize it half it, the no, time. For sure. He's like a ninja. For sure. Um, no, without same thing without Larry. I mean, I'm playing. I'm playing in a friggin' country band with them. Like, <laughs> like there's like you know, 19 year old Dave would be really upset. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, <laughs> you grow. So, so how did you end up working for Marvel? I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming that's the first post school yeah, you know job what? you I got. Mean, un- unbelievable. So, the greatest thing about the school, other than it being a great school, and, and I don't, I, I really was. I don't. I don't mean to like gush over it because like it's my alma mater but like it, it the the amount of people that are in the industry that went to that school is unbelievable so it's just a huge it's it's been a building block of the industry um for a while there a lot of them were joe kubert clones almost and even his sons but his sons right now are helping run dc you know like so it's it's a big deal but they had and still have it's it get, the, the industry gets smaller and more and then we keep pumping out and they keep pumping out artists, okay? So it's it's really rough rough scenario. Um, well, because of the pop, massive popularity these days, it is. And, I'm, and, I'm, and understand its popularity, but like realize that the books, like when I in 1990 when I started, like a, a bad book was selling 200 or 300 thousand. Now that's like what they aim for. So it's it's a we're not we're not in some people are saying the sky is falling. When I started in 1990. I walked in the door. They're like, "Oh, bad time to get in comics, kid." You know, and like, you know, so thirty years later, we're still in comics. So I don't know how true it is that the sky is falling, but everyone can imagine video games, internet, etc., uh, prices, and that's a whole other part of the discussion. 
um, have just have helped really erode the industry. So, so anyway, so but I'll, let me let me unless you want to be. No, I, I was just going to say an and, uh, endless supply of adaptations for film and television have have also. You would, and your thing is like you would think those would help. They would have if someone. And I don't know why it hasn't. I'm sure. I'm sure there's an answer somewhere. But like, for example, think about every superhero movie you've seen in the last ten years. Even go back to Blade. You know, like, and, and so why wasn't there at the concession stand a movie vert? Like, cool. We're gonna offer this movie version. Hell, buy the ten dollar popcorn box and we'll throw one in with it, so like they can cover the cost with it. But you never saw that. So there's no. You, you mean you mean throw a comic in comic? There. Have mm-hmm. a comic in the thing. Like yeah, yeah, because I remember, like, when I saw Blade, I had no idea that it was, was based off no a comic. No one realized that, right? I just thought it was so, this cool-ass movie with exactly. Leslie Snipes. Exactly, and, really, and, yeah. and so was Blade 2. I even <laughs> like Blade 3, but that's a whole other. But, Triple but, H is in it, I'm a little biased. Exactly, you gotta, you gotta like it a little bit. <laughs> and Wade Wilson, you know? Yeah, yeah you know, Ryan... <laughs> Might it's, as well be Wade Wilson. It's it's by far not the best Blade, but that doesn't mean it's a bad it's movie. Still, the only problem with this, what's, uh, I forget her name now, um... Jessica Biel? No, the uh, the 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 lead vampire. Uh, she's a friend of. She was in Days and Confused years and years ago, and she's she's the one. She's got the big giant mouth, and she's really good. But uh, she was also in a Mighty Wind, and she's in that stuff. I, I know who you're talking about. And, and I forget yeah. her name, but uh, McKin- oh. anyway. So, yeah. but she's she like chews every scene she's in, so a little much. But well. <laughs> in Blade Trinity, everybody who's in that movie chews every scene, right? right? Yeah. So, except for Blade, it says like seven lines, right? <laughs> so, Maybe he was just phoning it in. Well, by apparently that. he was he was pissed. He was pissed about uh, Ryan Reynolds and um, what's her name, be Jessica, Jessica Biel, being and taking some of the spotlight. However, those are comic book characters. Yeah. Hannibal King and her character are directly from the comic. So, anyway, um, <laughs> so we, as we digress, yeah. So getting getting way back, so so, so, just, so it's nineteen ninety. It's nineteen ninety. I graduate school. I'm at I'm, I'm at Long Island. Not I'm not a clue, but realizing to be honest with you, right here is that there's no way I'm going to make money penciling or writing comics. There's no way in the world. Um, I'm good, but like there's people who are phenomenal. Like you like you. It it really is. It's like it, it's a pill you have to learn to take. Of like, wait a minute, I. These to, to make money in the comic book industry, I have to produce a comic every 30 days. And not even every 30 days, every 20 days. Because like you're gonna have a, a period where you're gonna get the script and then and then every story from every pencil I know is like they're gonna do video games and everything and wait till the last minute, then pencil it. But the bottom line is that it's so hard. Anyone who's listening is like, I want to do comics too. You have no idea how hard it is. It is the most draining job in the world. Well, and not not only that, you're not just working on one book a month. Well, you can't. Well, I'm saying you specifically. No, yeah, that's well, that's different. Each each job is a little different. The the writer can probably do three to five to six, depending on how prolific he is or she is. Um, the penciler at most I've seen. Ron Lim was doing like four four books a month back in the day, and but they. He was kind of churning them out. They weren't bad because he was such a good draftsman, but they weren't great. They were just really solid storylines he was putting out. Um, and but as, a, as a letterer, I really need to do, like, to make a real living. I got two kids, you know. I mean, like, now they're they're starting to get out of the house now, but still, like, I got college to pay for one and all this stuff. So to be a real and to have a real life, you know, if you're not married and you can do whatever you want – 
not you know like and live wherever you want. It changes things a little bit. But once you have a house that you own and a mortgage, whether you have kids or not, when you, once you start getting more responsibilities, the comic book industry is just insane, and they don't care. Like no one, my editors right now, if they heard me, like hey, we do care, and I know some of you do, but like they don't care. <laughs> like and, and they they do, but they they're worried about their job, like sure. like everyone is, you know. And so it's it's tough. So. What, so let, let's get back to yeah. So, so ni- 1990. And so, what am I going to do? I can't, as I said, as try. One reason I'm saying this because I, I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't pencil and make a living. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do? So, I worked for an ad advertising like right out of right out of like in June or or May, whenever we graduated. Worked for some uh, little uh, advertising agency along for like a month, and someone called from the school saying, "Hey." Marvel is looking for to staff a position, um, and we're just giving our our graduates the first crack. So, like right off the bat, holy crap! In your a, in your that's, lap, that's amazing, yeah. right? So okay, now so now it becomes like between a few people. Unfortunately, my my literally my direct peers that I just graduated with are going to be some of them. So I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. Um, but everyone had many people had more, much loftier ideas. Well, I want to do this. I don't want to. Who wants to be a letterer? You know, and for real, there is a level of who, you know, um, but I did. And I, I, let me get into Marvel, whatever. That'd be great. And so, so I actually. So you were hired specifically to be a letterer? Yeah. Uh, okay. So back in the day, it was did everything by hand. Okay. So the lettering too was done by hand. And so what would happen is they'd get the pages back in and there'd be mistakes. Well, how if you're an editor and you have a ballpoint pen, like how do you fix a mistake like that? So you literally have a staff that back then of four to five lettering correctionists. Okay, if that's the right, whatever we were called, but we were the lettering department. Our job is to correct lettering. So we had to trial by fire, learn all these different styles because letterers absolutely, if you look at old lettering, you'll see they have totally different styles and everyone has a different alphabet the way they do their alphabet so we had to do all that and mimic it and we had to like work with whiteout and work with all this stuff and patch stuff in and like patch sound effects in and cutting out and so at that while i got there in 1990 that's what i was doing so i came in and immediately just started mimicking other people's work now the first couple like first month you're so raw i mean like you're like oh i'm like like you're like I'm like, cool, my stuff's going to be a Marvel Comics. Like, yeah, wait a minute, kid. <laughs> Let's give you a month or two to warm up, and then we'll see. Do Do you remember the first comic you worked on? Okay, so probably not the first one I worked on, as in, like, changing some apostrophes and adding in it. But I definitely, like, the first story. So after, like, a year, you're, you're, you develop your own, maybe, like, you, you, you're learning how to letter. And you're finally getting to the point where, Everything's looking nice and it looks professional. It is Marvel Comics. There's no, they're not kidding. Like, and you're like, you know, it, they're not going to put some scrub on on the on these books. Like, it took at least a year or two to get to the point where I could actually letter something. It was a Doctor Strange story, um, and my friend, a good friend, Steve Geiger, who's now working the shows up in Buffalo and stuff. He was the art director at Marvel, and he was doing. It was like one of his first stories too. He was kind of. Not, and it wasn't his first one, but like he was like one of his first, among his first few ones. And so came out all right, you know. Um, I don't like looking at my early work, just like I'm sure most people don't looking like at their earlier stuff, other than just 
to learn from it. You my, know? my first matches are pretty brutal. They're just rough, and you, and you especially like <laughs> other people might like this is so bad. And you're like, oh, that's bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can you can see it. You know, um, so yeah, that was my first job, and I luckily, if anyone knows that time period, so 1990, 92. Com- 91, 92 comics just blow up, okay? Uh, marked by things like Rob Leefield gets his 501 Levi commercial mm. on MTV. And I say that because everyone remembers that. And it was like, oh, I, he was like, I draw comics and I wear my Levi 501s, you know? <laughs> well, he called MTV. He was like, hey, I work in comics. I, and they were like, cool, let's do this. And, 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 here, and so it made him, a, a, one of the many things that made him a superstar he created that. He's the guy who created Deadpool. So okay. just for for connection's sake, and they were doing stuff like multiple covers. So they would do print three hundred thousand X Men, but there'd be five covers. So they're actually printing 50, like one point five million of them. Um, yeah, the guys that worked on those, they got some residuals. I bet some of them got a few checks. Like that, that doesn't. It's like unheard at this point. That's unheard of. You know. Well, and and this is also around the time that like films are starting to gain some success with. The uh, Christopher Reeve Superman films, the Michael Keaton Batman films. I, I when I came on staff in 1990, Batman had like just blown out that summer, mm-hmm. and even the people at Marvel were like Batman because <laughs> it was Batman. You know, um, I hated it because I came out of I came out of school and immediately got a job at Marvel, and so I thought I was supposed to hate DC for a long time, and I did. And there is there is a, a little weird rivalry there, but. Um, I still don't like that movie that much, but I recognize that people love it. So I don't, you know, I, I and I understand why, but not my favorite. Movie. It's because of Prince is the soundtrack. I don't mind. I, I know <laughs> Prince is a great musician. Um, and you can read a lot about that. If you read about that stuff, what happened with, with him between Tim Burton. I, I, I don't, I thought Michael Keaton was awesome. I think it was just too blown. Like I like um, Tim Burton's original films. Okay. Um, ex- with the exception of a couple, I, like I, I uh, Willy like, Wonka like is Ed- cool. Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, like so. But his, whatever he's done, like his, his original stuff, you know, Pee Wee's B- Big Adventure. Not that that's original, but it's original to its own right. material. You know, um, so I, I, I'm not more of a fan of that stuff as opposed to his other stuff. But well, it was that that first Batman film. I loved it. It, it was important. It was and, seminal. But it, but it was really over the top. It's it's in, that's and I think that's why I don't like it. It's like. I, for a long time, hated the 1960 Batman, the 68 Batman. The, the Adam West, um, Burt Ward. Because, and my, and my peers love it. So, like, they, you know, but I, and I understand why they love it, too. Some, some of them grew up with it more than I did. But they're, the bang, zoom, bop is exactly what we have to do. Like, nowadays, if I talk to a muggle, <laughs> and they, someone who's, like, maybe seen the in-game. Oh, I saw some in-game. That's great. And they're like, I love comics. Like, what, have you ever bought one? No. Like, you don't love comics, then. And that's fine. Like it's not like me being mean, but people I get that all the time. That like so as as when oh, you tell people for, for for pure like transparency sake, I've never read a comic until I read the first like hundred and five issues of The Walking Dead. Okay, and and my only basis for like information was like the Saturday morning cartoons. Sure. Uh, I, I love the Batman sure. animated series. I love Batman, the X-Men. I love the Spider-Man. There was Spider stuff Man. out there for these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, video games. There was some things mm-hmm. that right, you somehow knew about them. Yeah, the, all, all the adaptations were stuff that I was exposed to, right. which made me love it so much. And I think that's where a lot of my like 
biased opinions on what I think they should and, be. And that's from. fair. And like, and, and make and let me make no mistake. Like I, when I use the term "muggle," I use it as it's supposed to be, and it's an endearing term. Like Snape and them make it like a mean thing, and it's like, but I mean it like as what it's supposed to be intended. Like it's just someone who doesn't use magic. Mm-hmm. And so it's, when I use the term "muggle," I have had friends that get me. I'm not a muggle, but you, but you but are. they they still they still <laughs> love and appreciate the medium exactly. And so yeah. that's, that doesn't mean you haven't seen Endgame and don't enjoy it and love mm-hmm. it. It just means you haven't seen the com. You haven't read the comics. You know, I get a lot of, you know, as you can imagine, you started some of the 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 thing with saying like, you know, I love telling people what you do. I do too to a degree because it involves a 30 minute conversation mm-hmm. because, and it almost always is you've got to meet my friend, Steven. He loves comics. So Steven really hasn't ever read a comic, but he loves the movies. Now mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Like I, I, again, I don't want to get the wrong idea. I'm and more than willing to have that 30 minute conversation with them, but they're not, it's a little different when you read like, Oh, you actually have some comics and I've read them. There's a little bit of a different connection. Oh yeah, not, like, you know, like me, like me and Dan will have you know rhetorical conversations about comics all the time. But he actually read them, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, so, and Lawn's the same way. So like, there's there's different levels of conversation, and it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's just mm-hmm. like there's you know then we're like no, we're actually talking about the comics. So mm-hmm. people like, and even Bobby's or some of our other friends are like, I'm so mad that they did this and did this. And like, but but wait a minute, when you stopped reading, they actually did this and did that. Mm-hmm. So like. Having you know Captain Marvel is one like and all these different things that they get upset about like they but they actually did that in the comic mm-hmm. you know the Falcon has totally been cap has been Captain America uh, there has Spoiler been a alert. different Captain America <laughs> there has been a different you know there's all these things that are even setting up now it's like but they've done that so like anyone, anyone getting upset about it is like but this is part this is what they've done so well so so when you're when you're working you. You were working at Marvel Studios in Long Island. No, it was a uh, three eighty seven Park Avenue South in Manhattan. Okay, I, were you were you living there at the time? I lived. I lived on Long Island. Um, one of the reasons I eventually moved away is like that. That it was an hour and a half, maybe two hours with the walk each way. So my and you day, you walked that. So it was like I would walk like not even a cab. Twenty minutes to the train because it was like a mile and a half and like. You know, either drive to the train. So many times my car got broken. It's all the stuff of driving to the train and finding a parking spot, number one. And then number two, getting into the Manhattan, it's just close enough not to take a cab or a subway and just almost too far to walk. It's, <laughs> it's like so frustrating. But, you know, you're, you're on a budget. Like, I can't, I can't take a cab and subway every day. As well as, like, the Long Island Railroad, which is, like, you know, X amount per... I don't even know what it's up to now, but like, you know, it was a decent chunk too. So, sure. but four hours of my day. And so that was the hardest thing, but what I'll give you a quick rundown of what happened. So, so from the comics blew up in 92, 93, I was probably not ready to be a freelance letter at that time, but there was so much work that I went, that I, that I left staff and worked from like 93 to 96 worked from home. As basically kind of like an as independent contract. I was lettering for, for Marvel. Like I let it oh, now. F- still, still. Lettering sp- for Marvel. At that point I had gotten assignments. Um, so I had like, I don't, like we had all these Disney books, Duck, DuckTales and all the, I did a lot of DuckTales. Um, and then I had like a couple of these weird books that you've never seen. <laughs> You'll I, never see. I, I was, I was <clears> looking, <throat> the very little bit of research I did going into today, I went into like a, a Marvel database that had your yeah. name in it. And I just scrolled through. There was like sixteen hundred titles that had your name in it, which <laughs> it's. I, I mean, I'd love to sit here one, and go through every one of the one. exciting things that I found out a couple of years ago. 
um, was a website, and I wish I knew the name of it offhand, has the most prolific creators in, in comics. And so you get the lettering page, and I'm like number three. As you should be. <laughs> like, you because... know, but you understand, I was like, are you, there's no way, you know. Now, but wait a minute. So the follow-up, though, is that it's not so much pages. It's that I did so many eight-pagers and ten-pagers, so they were counting by story. Okay. So, but but it's still yeah, because because I, I was taking it. I'm still taking fourth or third place, whatever it is. But because well, like I, I was looking at titles, and this is just from your Marvel career. I mean, it is a it is literally everything from Deadpool to X Men to offshoots to Avengers to yeah. you even did. I saw what. Tell me if this is true. You did a WCW comic book. He's flexing a WCW comic. Is so, that is that for real? WCW comic was so awesome because. My friend Mike Lackey, um, who's who does DDP yoga, um, it's just DDPY. Okay, but da- lived, Dallas will come here, slap us both in the face. Us both yoga. Fair, that's fair. Enough. Well, he does, and he was slapping too because he's in his. <laughs> he's actually there's a lot of pictures of him in the studio with DDP. So he go he's down in Atlanta and goes to like and, and like once a week I think goes to the DDP studio. Oh, and actually uh, does in, it in there. Smyrna, yeah, yeah. actually does I, I, it there. I've been there. So cool. So he does it yeah. all. You know, and he got my other another editor friend Tim Tui. Um, he moved down to Atlanta and he's also in the gym with DDP doing this yoga too. So, um, it's a cool little place. Oh if, yeah. If, no, it looks, it looks, it looks if, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they do like a lot of live streaming of their workouts yeah. and, uh, you might, they, you might have then, you probably have seen one, definitely if not uh, two, you probably have definitely seen Mike Lackey once or twice in the background or something here and there. So, okay. The, well, I, I, I don't subscribe to the, the app that he has okay. because I, I have all the DVDs to do okay. the workout. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we can we, we'll talk yeah, about well, that story another time. Well, so, anyway, so you did this WCW but, but, but comic. He was, the, he was the main writer, um, and because when he came in, he was an editor. He had done a bunch of horror movies, um, Street Trash, and some other real, real low budget fun ones, but real like you know off off the wall ones. And he came as an editor, and they knew that he loved comics. So when they got the somehow got the license, well, you know, it was huge. everything was huge there for a minute. They got the license. They're like, well, okay, we'll get Mike Lackey to draw it. And we'll get anyone who loves comics to work or loves wrestling to work on it. I didn't work on all of the issues. I worked on a few of them. Um, I, I was still cutting my teeth, so I was still I wasn't quite there yet. But I but I did a few issues. Like so, even the ones I look, I'm like, ah. So a so shaky. what so what is that what is that like? They just take like WCW wrestlers and put them in like fantasy stories. Yeah, you know, I, I'll I'll bring you because they're, they're in, <laughs> Mike you, wrote them and they're insane. It's like it's it's, 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 it's like. <laughs> There's like you know, murder investigations and like it's just I, I can't even tell you how crazy. But there's stuff culminate cul- culminates in the ring. So often, that like eventually, like they they work out the, the 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 story in the ring, you know, and everything's it's it's funny. But the cool thing is we got to go see live three or four times. I think that's the one time I told you that I saw Rick Rude naked as we walked <laughs> past the dressing room because we're backstage and we walked past and he was like, "Hey guys, what's up? Oh my goodness." <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't, you know, he didn't care at all. It was awesome, um, but um, the the fun thing of that night, and I was there. I was standing at like you know where the wrestlers come out of one of the doors, and I'm standing inside because they they brought us back to we're in the dressing room. Right? I didn't get that much interaction, but I was in the dressing room, like just sure. standing on the side, like who's still screwed? excited, yeah, still excited, right? And it's, and it was um it was a house show, but it was one of the live Monday night house shows, um that was in the, at the the Meadowlands, which WC finally made it up into the Meadowlands for a couple of shows. So was it a taping of Nitro, or was, was it just it was a house either, show? It was either Nitro or the Thursday night show? Was it uh, the, Thunder. Uh, it was either Nitro or Thunder. I believe it was Nitro. It could have been Thunder, because I remember it being... But I remember standing there, and there, I had 
actually had hair on top of my head then. And I was, I've always been a big guy and always been like an under faker, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I was standing at the back door and they're literally like people in the stands like, Cactus is there. And they are giving me every name that I might look like. Is that, who is it? Is that Cactus? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like this is just awesome. But yeah, that was my little brush with wrestling at that, at that point. But it wasn't fun. It was a fun comic to work on. Um, but it had, I think it went 12 issues and that, you know, it, it, it's, those things do that and they run the course and yeah. Well, and, and like I said, just like, just even finding out that that was even a comic book for a time was kind of cool, <laughs> It is, um, but, but it's just, it's just amazing to see just this, this list of like, like who's who of Marvel comics, uh, in, in regards to characters and, and even offshoots of like X-Force and stuff right. like that. Yeah. You've, you've done all of them. I, I really have. Um, so I did an interview a couple of years ago and someone was like, well, what, what, Marvel with DC. Now, DC's a little different because I'm still a little more new to them. But you know, what character or Marvel or stuff would you like to work on? I'm like, I I can't think of anyone I didn't do. And I, again, I don't mean that in any kind of, you know... It's not a cop-out. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm just, I, don't, I think I've worked on everything. Now, I did a lot of Spider-Man. One of the other claims to fame I really enjoy was I worked with Stan Lee. I was going to ask you about Stan Lee eventually. He, okay, well, he, one of the things I, I did that was for about two years, three years, um, was the Daily Strip, um, which was, Stan Lee writes it, really does. Larry Lieber, his brother, um, drew it at, the, at that time that I was working on it. And Larry Lieber would come on, I, I was at the offices, this is before I went freelance that first time. So like from 92 to like 94, I was doing this. And I went just working in an office in a bullpen of cubicles. Not even cubicles. They were really cool. That Marvel was crazy. I mean, we I could spend an hour telling you about the insanity of the offices because, <laughs> like, we all of us were at this point like we're, we're young adults. Like we're not kids anymore. Like, mm-hmm. but we might as well have been. Like they had to have Virginia Ramita. So John Ramita is the head. Like he's the one who made Spider Man popular after Ditko and something. But he's one of the guys that made Marvel what it is. Okay. One of the greatest people in comics, too. The sweet, one of the sweetest men you've ever met, and one of the best, just all around, one of the greatest people in comics. And right? doesn't doesn't get anywhere near the recognition that he deserves. Not really. I think it, he does to our people, like we all know, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, the outside world probably has forgot. His son now, John Romita Jr., has gone has blown up in the last thirty years to be like one of the. He's he's also now a pillar in the community in in comics. Like he's like amazing work. Um, but at the time we were in the bullpen, and it, it was like this weird switchover. What had happened was Marvel was trying to save money, so we had the lettering department. But we also had this weird department of paste-ups, which was to save money, they had the letterer, or save time, okay? You have the letterer work on an overlay. And so they would send in like 20 pages of overlays. You'd have some poor guy like me, because I did some of this work too, where you'd actually white out the back of the, of the sheet. And then rubber cement that, and then rubber cement the page, and then cut out the balloons and actually paste it onto the page. Wow. Totally insane. We had nosebleeds from the acetone. I mean, it was it was like, it was a true, though, true production. Like, that's what was old school advertising was like that, too. Before computers came along, everything was by hand, you know, and they, everything was stripped in, and we used baby, all this stuff. That all, we'd, and one of the classes in Kubert School literally was uh, paste up and design. And when we got to Marvel, the guy that taught that class was like on the floor below working in an advertisement agency. So it's like, I mean, it's, it's basically Photoshop by hand. Yeah, it really was. And, and so it was crazy. 
But you had the, 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 the bullpen expanded and it was easy. It was hard work, but easy work. So like just because you had to be like really you had to be careful and do stuff correctly, but it was like you're just cutting stuff out and pasting it down, you know. <laughs> and so it, it was that a, sounds insane. To it me. was a madhouse, and it, and like and everyone was like, and that you you know I'm a character, right? So like ninety percent of the people there were characters. Like they're not like you know my name's Dave, but like you know I'm Superman. <laughs> like everyone is totally. It was just a madhouse. They had to get a mother figure. Virginia Ramita comes in. To, to run the, the run the department. So, like, she could come out like, all right, children! <laughs> Cracking <laughs> totally the whip. insane, you know? <laughs> so, a, a fun time, but a bit nutty. Um, and then and then the market crashed. So... When when was that? That was, like, 96. So, like, I'm, I'm freelancing, and all my ducktails dry up, and all my, like, exiles, and the couple, and the cool little jobs I had, everything goes away. Like, goes away, away. So the free, the freelancing stuff is still exclusively for Marvel at this point? At this point, totally Marvel. I had done a couple little jobs for, again, for, like, I met some dude that they knew I worked for Marvel, so they, people had worked for Marvel in the past. I did a comic for them. Like, little things here and there. And I tried, certainly tried to get some of the, during that boom, there were other little companies that popped up. There was one specific one called Personality Comics that they did, um, because you can do like a Jimi Hendrix comic if you wanted to. You don't have to get anyone's permission. You just have to like say, you can only do it once. It's a parody. <laughs> and so you, as long as you can do, you can do one offshoot thing once. So like, they were, what, like one issue. You can do one issue of Metallica. Now the Metallica eventually might come after, someone like them might come after you. They have the money enough to get the lawyers to to care enough to go after you. But for the most part... Well, after they, the Black Album came out. Well, yeah. Right? <laughs> but for the most part, like these guys are just pumping these weird comics out. So I did a lot of those weird things. Um, you know, like the culprit, like Steven, the story of Steven Seagal. Like, really? That was the comic? It was. <laughs> I, I still have a few, like the Steven Seagal story. That's crazy. <laughs> it was. It was the, the craziest comics. So anyway, so the bottom really drops out. So that, And so the hysteria drops out of printing mass comics. Also, and so... I still had some really good friends on staff. Uh, this is now Bonnie's pregnant with our first child, Emily, and we're like, okay, I, I don't have a job like at all. Like it had dried up entirely. So I'm tapping my friends at Marvel, and they brought me back on staff, kind of as a freelance day to day, and still working from home. Yeah, and and then over the next eight, three to four years, if you follow anything in comics, it was really crazy time. So. The reason why we have, for example, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four produced by Sony mm-hmm. and other property and, and, and X-Men are at Fox is because at the time we had a CEO who came in, he owned Revlon, uh, and, and he said, well, I'm going to sell these properties to these because they can make movies, and all that money he took to the bank. <laughs> and he didn't... That I know of, that, that my little, little that I know of, it like didn't reinvest any of it back into the company and didn't do any of that kind of thing. It just took the money and ran. Meanwhile, and, and, and none of the people that worked on any of these titles saw any residuals well, the, from that. Well, this right, this would be just the music property, like movie property. So they, mm-hmm. they literally selling them to the. So yeah, they wouldn't see any of that stuff. Um, to, to kind of answer what your your answer, there's been a few people after the fact now that have gotten some money. The guy who did Ghost Rider got a little bit of money because. Only because people really made a stink about it. Like, one of the guys that wrote Guardian Galaxy, like, is in a really bad way. And they kind of had to, in my opinion, they had to give him some money. Otherwise, like, we would have been like, you guys. <laughs> you know, it, would, it really would look bad on them had they not. But they don't give nearly as much money away as they should. Um, and Marvel right now is owned, it's a really interesting conundrum. Because I've got, you know, with all the, 
<clears throat> I'm not going to get political, but with all the left and right that we have right now, comics is a very liberal medium. Very almost everyone in it is very liberal, and we all and you know and everyone hates Trump, or you're supposed to, you know. <laughs> and if you don't, there's like if you've heard of Gamergate. Yeah, I did. A comics has Comicsgate as well. Okay. And there's a group that are very right wing. It's interesting because they actually have a point, but they're so loud and abrasive about it, like no one wants to listen to them. Understandably, because like they're they're such jerks about it. Their point is that we keep there's a one faction that want to make that keeps want to make comics more diverse, and their point is like that's cool, but only white males are buying comics. So the more diverse you make them, the less you keep selling. Right. And so they're. And their point stands. It's actually an interesting point, but they're saying it so abrasively and so mean-spiritedness and just so mean about it that then what you say has nothing. means nothing, you know. Um, so we have that too. It's a, um, that's but, a, that's interesting because you know you you, you want to try to expand your base without eliminating your base. I don't know how. They, well, for example, and, and again, I'm. I'm speaking only like kind of candidly because I don't know a lot. I, I have kept myself away from the fray um, and I don't like to delve in it at all. So I'm only giving like a cursory look at it. Sure. Um, it's stuff like Miss Marvel and the comics is a Muslim now. Okay. Now, that's fine. Sure. But for some people, like, it, it, like alienate, purists? it alienates them. So like our, some of like it, they're, they're like, well, that's not my Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, you know, and you, it's hard to have that discussion with them because, like, I, one hand, they have a point. On the other hand, well, why don't you try it? <laughs> it mm-hmm. might, you might be, it might be an interesting story there. Why, why throw it away just because we've changed one little thing? Same thing with, like, Miles Morales says, Spider-Man from Enter the, you know. So those things are, but that was really good. And it handled it really well. So I don't know why, I don't know why there is a backlash somehow. I do know that I've got a couple of peers and friends that are in that one camp and, they're serious about it, you know. But anyway, uh, I was saying, like, it just have this weird left and right thing going on. And so, oh, I was going to say, like, so right now, the guy who owns Marvel. So you get, what happens is you get, like, some of the left go too far. To, not, not too far. It is what, people are allowed to do what I don't care what people do, right? But they'll get people to say, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A because they stand for this. Sure. That's, and that's fine. That's your prerogative to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... They don't say anything about the fact that I this guy that is running Marvel is Trump's like biggest donator. He gives he's like he's like his friend. You see pictures of Trump. This guy hasn't taken pictures in forty. He's a madman kind of guy, and he hasn't taken the picture you find online of him is one from like the like from Madman days. He's all chilling and slick, <laughs> and you can't. But the only pictures now you find with him are him standing next to Trump at all these different addresses and stuff that he's been at. And so I find it I just find it interesting that some of my peers that would say. Well, don't do, don't go here and don't purchase that. Don't do this. But we still want to work for Marvel. I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure how that works. I do know that he has that the comics don't reflect him because they're doing. But there has been some back and forth with. But and even Endgame, they did a really good job of making it very diverse. So I'm not sure how. To be fair, my own statement. I'm not sure how true that is. I'm just saying it's just interesting to me well, how, well, how well, the world is. The movies nowadays with the. Uh, inception of marvel studios it's almost its own entirely different entity now. it is but but my best my best example of still having their like a nod to comics gate or nod to this problem or issue was that one scene in endgame and you get to the very end and you get like seven female heroes dun, 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 they're like we're gonna fight you now that's great i want you to watch that scene again because you got the dvd and like four of them are about to die because mm-hmm. they don't have any powers <laughs> and you're like 
Ooh, you got <laughs> so. But that's but that's an example of what of what one side is saying they're doing too much of. Of saying like 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 having a black woman as as Ariel. It's that kind of thing that they're freaking out about. It's like so what. You still can watch Little Mermaid. My my pro- <laughs> like it doesn't change. Does it change the cartoon? No, go watch the cartoon. My my problem isn't so much that the the casting of the new Ariel is black. It's they don't need to make a live action Little Mermaid. I mean, now I'm saying that say like I didn't see the live action Lion King. I didn't see the live action Aladdin because so I, ha- so here's my thought on that. I would I both agree and disagree. For example, have you seen the live action Jungle Book? I haven't. Phenomenal. And, and, and I'm sure it is. No, no, hold, and, and, like, and you wouldn't expect it to be. But I can be the first, I'll be the first to be honest with you. Like I'm, I'm a Disney holic, right? Go all the time. It's one of my favorite places. I, I, you know, bleed Disney. Lion King is terrible. Okay. Um, the Lion King because it's cartoon and a cartoon. When Dad dies, right? Simba cries. Well, you watch the you know, live action and Simba's like, "Oh, my dad's dead," and mm-hmm. he's not crying because it's a lion. Right, <laughs> and they don't like emote, well, you know. <laughs> well, my like, I see the positive side of it because if it if it introduces these great movies that were animated films when I was a kid to a new generation of kids that right. may only watch it because their parents make them, right? Then I'm all I'm on board for it. But if it's you know calling a spade a spade, it's it's a cash cow. It is. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I haven't seen Aladdin. Um, I do. I've heard that Aladdin is actually much better than it should be and actually really enjoyable and even a little different because there's a couple of different tunes and stuff so i can so i'm interested to see that to base to the base of what we're talking oh, about my, so, my niece and nephew are six and eight and they loved it see and, and so so part of so part of my argument for it goes back to the harlequin thing of like yeah just because we want to see the cupid doll my daughter loves the margot version she dresses her for halloween exactly. last year yeah. oh, she, just, she just one of her co- one well, of her cosplays how, and just so. think of how many people did that after and they that all movie did came and, and yeah. but she, my daughter generally went like she's gone to like three different and wins like all the time because she's really she looks really good in it it's 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 a it's a, it's a really well done <laughs> cosplay it is and she's yeah. done a really good job with it but my my point being though is like she loves that one so even so matter how much me and my friends are like well i want to be i want the cupid doll it doesn't matter you know like it's like yeah but there's a whole generation. Anyway. Well, so 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 jumping back yeah. into your career, uh, you're you're just getting ready to have Emily. Uh, the the market's kind of crashing. You you got back into working. I got back on staff, and it was a really really important thing. Um, and it was an ugly time because the reason why I kept sa- I said that is because we we had layoffs. Like the next three years, like every six months was a layoff. Um, and I was kind of a day to day. So I, I kind of avoided some of that, or they would fire us for like a week, and they'd be like, hey, you got, we, we still need you. <laughs> so we would come back in. So I wasn't on staff, and luckily Bonnie was working in a place where she had insurance just long enough, so that until I got insurance, they finally put me on staff. And then... And, we, and, and when you were put on staff, were you still working from home? From no, then, then? I... Then, then it's, and, and even day to day Still back oh, in, yeah. in oh, Manhattan. Back into the mountain every day. And so, so at that point, so like 97, 98, I'm back on staff. Uh, we have Emily, and then I have Connor, and I'm back on staff, and I'm doing, I'm grinding, just grinding. And then this other guy comes in and buys the company and says, okay, now you can no longer do freelance. So I was, like, going in on staff, and then maybe do, like, one of the books I did, computer, now, like, 97, computer starts coming out, okay? The real reasons I got back on staff is because that one year I'm off, I'm laid off, my wonderful parents, again, supply, helped me buy a computer, and I taught myself 
Illustrator and Photoshop and all that stuff. Excuse me. And so I, and I, I go back on staff and they're like, oh, you know how to do it. I, I, I've partly faked my way back on because I only knew Illustrator really well. And I'm like, an, I'm awesome at Illustrator. Photoshop, I could just kind of move stuff around. I, I'm still okay at Photoshop. Um, you're not but, you're not quite the old man in the industry that doesn't know how this technology exactly. thing works. Yeah, so I, yeah, I still there's still looking, like even now like DC's telling me like you need to get a new computer because I'm using Illustrator from like ten years ago, and I'm like, but it works. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, but, but the computer was really that's, that's a really important thing. So at that point though, like I did my first computer job was Kazar with the Kubert brothers, and I hate looking at it because like. I mean, it's worse than my hand lettering because it's like this totally new technology. I made my own new font, called it Sharp Font, and it was all awesome. It was like, and it's not like, oh, like ooh. But well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure James Cameron doesn't like looking at the uh, the CGI in Terminator Two. Well, I'd like to think that, for example, and I haven't and I haven't got a chance to talk to Adam and Andy, and I haven't got a chance to talk to either one of them. But I'd love to. I mean, I, I one day I will, just because I'm I'm in that circle now. But I hope to see him at like another party and be like, hey. I'm so sorry that it came out that way, but that they would understand that there was a learning curve. That's like this, literally this period of time where there's a learning curve from all on, from, you know, did from hand to digital. And it was, that just part was part of it was going to, we're going to have a couple of years of bad looking books and not just me. It was other people making bad books too, because it's a new medium. It was a new thing. Yeah. So, um, so then, so, but then Marvel was like, okay, no more freelance. If you're on staff, you can't freelance. Because new new guy new boss comes in and he's like, Arr! and so that cuts out like half my revenue because I was working, and then coming home and working another four hours or so, um, so trying to make some extra money, and so that really hurt, um, and then so everything went out of house at that point, and I wasn't even lettering on staff. I was I became I knew a little about my computers. It, it, I was really smart to have learned a little bit because I was now the person who scanned in material and sent out to like. And Pencil was like, I don't know what Deadpool looks like. I would scan in a picture of it and send it to him. Like I was, I had like the first email account. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> aha! And I would send them. I would send materials out. Well, as you can imagine, that was really fleeted. That was like a year, you know, because as, as technology marched along really fast. And Marvel then said, I wanted, we would like to do an in-house lettering program. And I'm looking at it. I was like, this is, it's not. We shouldn't. And I still don't think they should. Like, I, I still, I have some friends that are in the D.C. lettering department, so, like, apologies to them if they hear this. But, like, I still don't think it's, it should be a thing. You should be, I should be able to get up at 5, 4.30 in the morning and work as hard as I want to for as long as I want to. It should not be 9 to 5. It should not be anything like that. And especially if, like, you need this tomorrow what, and it's 5 o'clock, well, how am I supposed to do it? Like, so it... it I, it really should be freelance. I do think there should be one or two people on staff that like are like the funneler, and maybe they do a book or two while they're waiting for work to come in. But they're the person who gets receives the works, and appropriates to where it should go. So and, and they're kind of that's what DC has gone back to doing now. DC had their own lettering department um, for a few years now, but now that's kind of went away. But Marvel, this is back in ninety eight or ninety seven, ninety nine, wants me to do a lettering department, and so I did the best I could. It was hard because. The editors didn't want it either. We're talking finance wanted to do it. Editors didn't want to do it. So they're like, well, we like Dave. He's a really nice guy, but we don't want him to run a lettering department. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so that worked out for a couple of years until finally um, Marvel, like they, I wanted to leave. 
I, I wanted to leave, you know, I, there's, there's a little bit more happens there. I don't, some of it's by no means embarrassing because it's, it's the way things happen. Um, I was, I always take a vacation. We took a two week, every time I took a vacation, I would come back to just a, a, a just an insanity mess. Like something would always blow up. And so I took a two week vacation to California and I came back and my manager basically demoted me and put my Joe Friday over me. Hmm. We were, we had become really good friends and he was like, and to his credit, he was like, no, I don't want to do this. And I, and I, I was, I was not mad at him at all. Like it's my buddy, Paul, like I'm, we're good. Like it's not his fault. He, like, I clearly know he doesn't want to do this. And he went and had the same meetings I was having, which was things like, how long does it take for you to letter a page? So could you imagine what, could you imagine what the answer to that is? When my page looks like either, oh no, <laughs> or war and peace. <laughs> right. Okay. So, and so, so my first answer to him was, well, it depends. And he was looking for a number. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't give you a number. You're talking about X-Men? You're talking about DuckTales. You know, because X-Men, Chris Claremont's going on for pages. You know, DuckTales is saying, oh no, smash, turn the page. And so he, he was so pissed. And so I remember, he, and so when Paul took over for like the day, he walked into that meeting and said, all right, so how long take it? And Paul's like, well, hold on. It takes, he was like, all right, never mind." And so on the way out of the room, he's like, by the way, I quit. Which made me look like, oh, <laughs> like the, something's going on. It's not that Dave sucks. Something happened here. And there's a huge disconnect of what's going on. So long story short, they were like, well, can you, I was like, I looked at my boss. Like it was, it was, it was a week period, not just a day. It was like about a week period. And like that day, he, he walked back to the office. I was like, Paul, just quit. He was like, well, you know, so we waited a day or two. And he was like, so what do you want to do about that? And I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm not coming back on. I was like, you're not re-promoting me. I was like, you, dem- I'm not doing that. Sure, I wouldn't either. Right? I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't, I don't care about working for Marvel. See, this is where you point, like, I don't care about working for Marvel Comics anymore. And, so, and it's a tough, it's a tough spot to be in. Like, it'd be like, I can only imagine a few wrestlers as, you know, just equate it to wrestling, like, that you're in WWE, he finally made it, and you're like, oh, I hate this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I hate this so much that I would rather go flip burgers. You know what I mean? Because, the, the, like, they've made it so hateful. And it, it was a very hateful place to be for a little while. It was just so unfortunate. Well, at one point, like, at a highlight of it, though, because we were so, like, we are like, kind of fighting back, and, like, when we're having these layoffs and having these things, we had one guy that had bought a chicken suit just because for Halloween or something. Okay. And we're, then we find out we're getting fired. And like, we find out like today is like, it's going to be X people. And like my buddy Wayne's going to be on the list. And we're like, Wayne, you got to wear this chicken suit to HR. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel bad that we made him do it because as he walked in the room, they were like, Oh, call security. Cause they thought <clears throat> to their credit, they thought this dude's about to flip a table. You know, because he walks in, okay, he yeah, walks, in knowing, walks in knowing he's going to get fired in a chicken suit. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's still amazing. Still totally amazing. I still love that story because like he came back up and was like, I probably shouldn't have worn the chicken suit. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm so glad he did because he, it showed to them like it was a big F you to them. Because it was like, yeah, you like, it's Friday. We know you waited until Friday to t- tell us that you're fired, etc. It was, it was just shady, you know. Yeah. So anyway. I, so at that point, I'm like, well, I'm, 
me and Bonnie are thinking about moving. I was like, well, this is the time. This is perfect timing. We'll, we'll just, and so they then interviewed all these people for my job, like the job I had been doing. And every person like wanted double or triple what I had been making. And when they said, oh, no, Dave is making this, they were like, are you in, they were so not mad at me. They were like, how, how can you guys, d- yeah. what did you do to him? Like you, I can't, it's so like, I, I really got like, not on purpose, but kind of like got all this backhanded support. Cause like after they were like, oh, we, we didn't realize they were coming in literally laughing in the face of people, you know? And, and so finally, so again, they came back to me again. They're like, you sure you won't take it back? I was like, I'm not taking it. I was like, you guys really, I was like, I'm not mad. But, like, I'm not going to take it either, you know. And so one of my, like, my my Yoda, his name is Chris Eliopoulos, someone I owe a lot to. Um, at that point, he he took my guys, lack of a better term, and, and hired a few more. And now he works, there is a Marvel out-of-house lettering department. So Chris has, like, a, I guess a contract. I don't want to, you know, I don't know how much, I don't, you know, that, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to speak out of line, but he's sure. got, he's got a few people under him and they do fairly well. Cause like he's got a, but it's hard to work for Marvel because Chris has got that contract. So I then said, okay, I want to leave. And I left staff and we moved to Pennsylvania. Um, my, my sister had previously moved. My parents then moved out and then Bonnie's parents wanted to move as well. So we all moved kind of like within a you know th- few year period. Um, you were all living in New York at the time. Yeah, we were all we're all Long Island. Um, this, so this is now two thousand three. So two thousand and I'm not by no means did I flee New York, but like two thousand uh, you know nine eleven was a big deal for me. I was like in the city when it happened, all that kind of stuff. Not a fun, not a fun time. And I didn't. I I have friends that literally fled New York like the next week. Like, within a month or two, they were gone, you know. How, how far was uh, Marvel Studios from Ground Zero? From that, that was the new office. It was, it was far enough that I d- wasn't directly affected, other okay. than me, like, taking 10 hours to walk home, because I had mm-hmm. to walk over bridges and stuff like that. And they were checking bridges. It was May, it was a very crazy day. I remember the quick thing was that, like, it was like 8 o'clock or whatever when it happened, you know, or, or and I, had, I was getting to Marvel early because I was trying to be a good boy. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> and our our president comes down and we had a, one of those, we had a TV that we occasionally would watch at ECW on lunchtime, you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. And um, he came down and he's like, and it was just me and him. And he was like, turn on the thing. And I won't say who it was. It's like someone I don't like in the industry. But here I am with someone like one of my, one of the guys I dislike probably the most. And we're both watching ILM and he was like, well, I'm going home. And he, and he didn't even say, like, and he's the president. Like, he didn't even say, like, you probably should go, too. He was just like, well, I'm out of here. And then, you know, anyway, it was a, it was a weird day. and But I luckily had friends and walked home and was able to get home safely and, and that kind of thing. But I really had, after that, I had kind of weird ideas about just being in New York. I just wanted to get out of New York. And so we all moved to Pennsylvania. All right, I think this is a good place to uh, to stop the interview with Dave and pick things up in part two, which I'll be uh, posting two weeks from today, October 14th. That's Monday, two Mondays from now. Uh, you'll be able to hear the second part of this two-part interview with Dave Sharp. I hope you enjoyed uh, what you've heard so far, but we've only scratched the surface of what's to come yet in part two. And in part two, we're going to pick up right where we left off, talking about uh, Dave continuing to work, work for Marvel despite moving to Pennsylvania, what uh, what factors led to him eventually deciding to leave Marvel and join DC Comics? 
what the difference is between working for Marvel, working for DC, and then we'll also get into a lot of fun other stories like uh, the contents of his basement, uh, what it was like to meet Stan Lee and Bruce Campbell, and whether or not he's worked any Comic-Cons before. So thanks again for checking out Strong Words. I hope that you enjoyed part one of this two-part episode with Dave Sharp. Uh, feel free to uh, to like and subscribe and leave me a comment and stars and all that stuff that you can do for me because once again the more you do for me the more I'm going to be able to do for you that's kind of how this works so and don't forget to check out the uh, podcast on Twitter that's at Ian Strong Words if uh, you follow us there you'll be able to get all the information on when you can expect new episodes and what they're going to be about so don't forget to subscribe there and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast And on the plus side, if you do uh, subscribe to Strong Words, you'll never be able to miss an episode. You'll be able to find it on all the platforms in which you can find podcasts. And once again, I sincerely thank you for listening. Don't forget to check us out two weeks from today for part two with my interview with Dave Sharp. Stay safe out there. And if you have something to say, make sure to keep your words strong. How strong? Ian Strong. Strong Words!